Hey, 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 everybody. My name's Ryan Atkinson, and you are on the business cloud. Today, we're joined by a recruiter from HubSpot, a tech company that has exploded in growth over the past few years. Um, in 2020, they are named the number one place to work by Glassdoor. 2021, they are number four. Um, for what it's worth, over the past five years, their stock price has grown 995%. Um, and the past year, it's around like 220. So um, if you can kind of grab the context of how fast HubSpot's growing, um, and it really comes down to the people um, and the recruiters who are recruiting. Um, so it is my pleasure to join us today, uh, Vinny Chantacek. Uh, Vinny, thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to have you. I'm super excited to be here too with you, Ryan. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Super jazzed for our conversation today. Yeah, I am as well. But before we get into it, I want to ask just two fun questions, just kind of warm up questions, if that sounds good to you. Lay it on to me. Perfect. Let's do it. So this question I thought of last night, I never even thought of a question like this. So hopefully it's not way out of the realm, but here we go. If you were a fish in Finding Nemo and Marlon, the dad, came looking to you uh, for help finding Nemo, how would you help him? Oh, that is a really good question. That's a, that, that definitely takes a lot of problem solving, honestly. Uh, and so would I be just, this is gonna be, a, this is me just asking questions. Uh, is, am I a character in the movie that's, that, yeah. that I'm pretending to be or? We'll assume you're a character, yeah. I don't know, I don't know fish, but we can assume <laughs> you're a fish. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like I'm mostly Dory in that situation that okay, like that kind works. of doesn't really know. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, like Dory's not really that helpful sometimes depending on how you look at it because she can blank out a lot, can zone yeah. out. That's kind of me at first where if I'm in a situation like that where it's really stress inducing, I tend to kind of spin in circles a lot. But then once I like really focus, then I would probably just start to ask questions about um, tracing steps back. Um, where have you been before? What have you already tried? Really get a mm -hmm. sense of uh, what are some where are some places you've already looked at, and just really try to trace back to where have you where have you maybe seen Nemo? Where do you think you might go? And really just thinking mm -hmm. through like how would Nemo think about two things, and that's probably the first place I would like kind of go towards first. Yeah, uh, and then <laughs> from there, just like really continuing to see things from Nemo's point of view is like how does he how does he think? Where does he like to frequent? What are some things that like he would potentially do in his day to day, especially if I knew him that well? And just really like put myself into Nemo's mind. And I think they actually did that in the movie. And, and that's how they actually found him and just like kind of trace back his steps that way, if I remember that correctly. I'm getting finding Dory and finding Nemo a little confused in my head, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same way, but that's that's an awesome answer. I think I'd be confident that he would find Nemo then. So <laughs> it would take me a while. Like like Dory, it can take a while to get there. So I'm kind of like Dory in that sense, honestly. So if you're looking for me to like find like the light in the tunnel, it, it, it's not always direct for me. I always have to like find some bumpy obstacles first in order to get there. So that's me personally though. <laughs> Perfect. And then the next question, um, I love asking this question. If you could go anywhere in the world you've never been before, but you had to live there for a year, uh, where would you go? So this is a really good question because I'm a big foodie. So I'm, I'm really inspired and motivated by food just mm. because I love, that's my way of traveling when I can't travel, which has been yeah. really helpful this past year, honestly. But one place I would probably go to where I haven't been before, but um, would love to just experience and, and the, the question was like, if I had to live there for a year, right? Yep, and had to live there for a year. Yep, uh, so I would probably go back to like my own um, like family roots. Cause I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm Asian American. I'm first generation Asian American, mm -hmm. but my family does come from the country of Laos. So 
that the Southeast Asian region, like Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, I've, I've never been there in my 32 years on this earth. And so that's one area that I would love to just kind of revisit and really learn more about since I, all I've known is literally growing up in New England. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have traveled like here and there, fortunately, but I would love to just kind of trace back to where my roots kind of started and where where Vinny came from essentially and live that. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah. And I heard like that area just in general is beautiful. So I think that, that that's an excellent choice, I would say. <laughs> Thanks. And then, okay. So I want to give you the floor now. Can you give us a little bit of background about your time with HubSpot? You can even talk about Apple if you want everyone who worked at Apple, which is cool. Uh, but being a recruiter at HubSpot, uh, just a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, I've been at HubSpot now for about two and a half years, approaching three years this June, which is crazy to think about because I feel like I just joined the company yesterday. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, I feel like I've been here for decades yeah. because of how much has, how much time has passed and also how much I've been able to do at HubSpot. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's kind of like a dichotomy there. Yeah. But uh, my experience has been pretty unique in the sense that I wasn't actually, you know, looking for a change when I came to HubSpot. I was actually pretty comfortable where I was in my first company ever, which was, as you noted, Apple. Mm. Uh, I found Apple right after college and was there for about a little over seven years, which was one of the most remarkable experiences I've ever had. And HubSpot really just came onto my radar because I, I wanted to be somewhere that was a little bit smaller, mm -hmm. so somewhere where they were growing and scaling, but there was a lot of problems to figure out. And yeah. when I say problems, I mean like good problems, interesting problems <laughs> to solve. Because uh, one thing that I definitely learned over these past 10 years being out of college is that I, I'm very naturally entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So I love that effort that you put into growing something from the ground up. Yeah. And I realized that was something I really wanted from my career at that point after about seven years of being in the working workforce, if that makes <laughs> sense. So that's what ultimately drew me to HubSpot was the, the ability to do some really uh, important, significant work to solve some pretty significant problems, which in my case, I joined our campus recruiting team, now called our university recruiting team, where it's a pretty new function for HubSpot, where we were helping students enter the world of tech, but also enter a tech career at HubSpot. And mm -hmm. when I joined the team, we were about uh, less than 10 uh, teammates, and it was a team that was quickly growing and evolving to, to help HubSpot as well grow in addition to helping students. Mm -hmm. So that, that really attracted me a lot because, you know, for me, I, as I mentioned, I'm a first-generation American, first-generation college student, first person mm -hmm. in my family to ever get a job in corporate America. So for me, like, that road was very bumpy. And I remember, like, being in your shoes, Ryan, like, how hard, how ambiguous it can be to, like, get a job and how to know, like, where you should apply, how to even go through the process. Like, I had to learn all that from scratch because no one in my family had ever done what I had done. Mm -hmm. So that was a journey that I remember being very rocky, and I knew that that was something that this team was trying to actively change the narrative on. And that's what really drew me to HubSpot was that that meaningful work piece, but also like that vision of helping students like that sold me. Mm -hmm. And now that's been two and a half years, like I've really had a lot of ownership of what that experience is for students. And mm -hmm. I've luckily been able to do it for uh, all of our different functions at HubSpot, but over the past uh, year and a half, I've very much been uh, focused on helping students learn about what is sales in the tech yeah. world and changing the narrative around what is sales today. Because mm -hmm. when I when I graduated from college, sales was actually considered a really dishonest profession and mm -hmm. unfortunately it still is, but there is actually this evolution that's happening over these past like few years, if not like the past kind of couple decades that um, sales can actually be a little bit 
more human centric. You can be focused on people and actually respect people. And that's the kind of story that I'm really excited to have been able to tell these past couple of years and why I'm a recruiter um, in my role right now is because I love telling that story and helping students really not only just like learn about that career, but see how it can actually change their life because sales can actually change a lot of people's lives in more yeah. ways than one. So we can, we have a whole, we can have a whole TED talk about that, but that's a, <laughs> That's essentially what, like, how I got to HubSpot and what I've been doing the past couple of years and um, where I still have left to go. There's still more to do. And uh, I'm really excited to just be here on the ride um, with HubSpot. So I'm really grateful for that experience. Mm-hmm, definitely. And yeah, I think with this, uh, you're going to be able to help so many people um, just understand from a recruiter's perspective a little bit more um, on the process. Um, so I kind of want to get like your opinion. Um, so when, let's say a new student is, going to look for a job, how should they assess within that company if they would like it, if they would like the job, the company, or in, even the industry? What are some variables they should play into that? Yeah, this is a really good question because when I was, so for context, I graduated from college in 2011. And yeah. at the time, that was when LinkedIn was just starting to ramp up mm-hmm. on university campuses. And also, uh, yeah, so LinkedIn was just becoming a thing. And so, you know, doing informational interviews was always a thing, but it was always a little bit harder because you had to like really know people to get connected. But nowadays you have so much more information in, in mm-hmm. your hands to look up certain key indicators, like key cues that you should look at. And a few that come to mind is definitely, uh, which is the buzzword for uh, a lot of companies right now is culture. Like yep. really getting a sense of what is that company's culture. And when I say culture, I don't mean just like the perks or the benefits mm-hmm. that you get from that company, but what do they really value? What do they mm-hmm. actually believe in as a, as a mission? What do they believe in for their employees in terms of how to be successful, how to operate, how to collaborate, how to actually be a, a, a teammate? Like, what do they actually share in terms yeah. of those values? Because when we define the word culture, it's about like shared values, sh- shared mm-hmm. definitions, shared meanings. So really learn, leaning into that, that's definitely the one piece that you have a lot more control of because a company's culture can make or break your your personal experience because like you could have probably the best job ever that pays you a sh- I, I almost said a bad word a, a, a <laughs> lot of money right but at the same time like having a, a really supportive team environment a company that actually supports mm-hmm. you and sees you for an individual that is what can make or break your experience in terms of making it positive or a nightmare mm-hmm. um and I've, heard, I've, I've seen a lot of friends, I've had experiences, uh, not at the company that I've been at, but like yeah, I've had cool. some experiences at other companies where I've had a really miserable time because while I was doing great work, while I was getting paid you know, a, a good salary, mm-hmm. when, it, when it came to working with people across the organization, when it came yeah. to actually getting things done, there were so many barriers because of personalities, because mm-hmm. of their approach to doing things. And that can be really defeating after a while. Yeah. So. No. Culture is definitely the one piece I would say is a big focus on. Um, I'm happy to talk about a couple more if that's if that if we have time for it too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I just want to know how should people assess this? So we talk about culture, but like what else? Yep. So uh, definitely culture. Um, what is it like to actually work in the job that you're looking for? Because mm-hmm. quite often uh, there's always going to be someone who has done your role before. Yeah. So one thing that you definitely see in job descriptions when you're applying to jobs is like what they look for, mm-hmm. what are their requirements, like what does the job actually do? But mm-hmm. there's also some things that are pretty hidden slash are not always talked about out loud just because yeah. it's either not thought about or um, maybe there are some things that like the company would rather you find out once you get there mm-hmm. uh, or 
or maybe there's just things that are just left out just because of you know brevity's sake. Yeah. So, right, and I think that's that's normal. It's not like it's 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 a it's being done on purpose. It's just more of like you can only fit so much on a job description. True. Um, but one thing is definitely like looking at cool. What are the great things you can do in this role, but also what are the challenges that come with it as well? Mm-hmm. So when I think about a sales role, for example, an entry level sales role, that that's what I mainly recruit for at HubSpot. The, the main core of this of a sales role is really to help people. Yeah. Help them, and especially in the context of HubSpot, it's helping them grow and scale. Mm-hmm. But what's not often talked about is like, what are the challenges of the role? Like, what are some things that like are really hard and what are some obstacles that I need to like really face in this role that maybe aren't as obvious to, to the naked eye? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where, you know, really looking at uh, how does the company describe the role? How have employees, either current or past in that role, experienced it? And there's a number of places where you can see that, whether that's uh, websites like Glassdoor, where you can actually see reviews of people who have been in your role before, uh, whether that's actually doing info interviews with people um, in that role now at a company. That's definitely one one powerful piece where you're hearing from the employee themselves and not the recruiter, because I'm not gonna lie. I, I definitely know a lot about what our roles are, but I haven't actually lived them. I haven't been gone through those challenges and pain points that you might have on the day to day. So hearing from employees that way is very much a powerful uh, uh, piece of information to have. Mm. Um, and then social media, like this is probably probably the biggest place where you can probably see that visibly is social media. Where do they talk about yeah. the roles and the company culture and how do they talk about it? And do they even talk about it? <laughs> If they don't talk about it, that's a really big indicator of what company culture and what a, a, a day's challenges look like. Um, yeah. But if they do, then you really that's a really great way to see a little bit more about what is a role, what is a company, what do they believe in, what are the challenges and things like that. No, I love that. And like, so, so this is how I did it. When I was evaluating company culture, I was taking in all the conversations just like within the interviews, like was, were we easily able to connect? I mean, there were some companies where it was like, like, nothing against this, but it was like a, like a six-year-old like person. And it was like, it was just a different type of vibe um, that you get. So should you be assessing company culture in all your interviews, all your phone calls? Uh, and if it, if there is a connection there? Yes. So I think taking one source mm-hmm. as, as, as a way to gauge is not always the full picture. It's yeah. kind of like, uh, I'm, I was a psychology major in college, right? So nice. one thing that you should definitely uh, remember when you're trying to figure out like, what is, what is a common theme among like a, a certain population of people? Mm. You should always think about like sample size, like yeah. how many people are in the sample that you're trying to get information from. Mm. So one person's account of, a, of an employee's experience or a company's experience is not enough. So really trying to see as through many different sources, whether that's interviews, phone calls, social media, uh, informational interviews, like try to get as much information from all these different sources as possible and look for, is there consistency or are there some gaps slash are there some red flags because of some inconsistencies? Like mm-hmm. use all of those to your advantage because that's only gonna give you more information. So mm-hmm. essentially the more sources you have, the better you can really gauge that. Otherwise, if you're just resorting to one employee's experience, that's not the whole <laughs> picture, honestly. No, yeah, I love that. Um, so let's just say you found a company that you really like you want to submit a resume there. Should you be looking on LinkedIn, the company's website, Handshake? Is one better than the other or? Good question. So it, this is kind of how I've really seen it from the recruiter's point of view. Mm-hmm. Everything lives on the company's career website. Okay. So everything you see on LinkedIn, on Handshake, on all these, a glass store, all these websites yeah. that post jobs, 
they're all coming from the careers website for the most mm. part okay so it doesn't really matter where you apply as long as like you've seen that it's, it's for a particular company and it's actually going to that mm. company uh, so linkedin handshake those are all great but they all link to their careers website so there's no right or wrong answer here okay um you can use either one, honestly, but for me, just because I like to cut to the chase, I usually just go to the cruise website because I just know the most accurate information is there. And uh, also when I go to that career website, I can also use that same page to learn more about what is their company culture, what do they believe in and all those things that like you are doing as part of your research anyway. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so there's not like a LinkedIn database, a handshake database, a career, they're all in the same, all the resumes go to the same spot essentially. For the most part, yeah. There might be some nuances depending on how a, a company mm. might set it up, but they usually are all linked to one source. And okay. Yeah, which is, which is a nice secret that I found out just being a recruiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've always wondered that too, because like I'm kind of biased against Handshake. I was just like, I'm not applying on Handshake. Like, let me go on like LinkedIn at least here. So that's actually really useful to know. Um, mm -hmm. So you found the dream company. Uh, you found where you should apply. Um, after you submit your resume, are there steps that people should be taking to kind of ensure like the resume gets seen? Um, any form of connection on LinkedIn, cold email, um, anything like that? That is a really good question. And I, it depends on the company for sure. Okay. So one thing I'll kind of peel back the curtain on with uh, like HubSpot, for example, is there's a human that's looking at every single application. Yeah. So for me as a recruiter, I don't use an applicant tracking system to automatically look for keywords and mm -hmm. uh, automatically sort through resumes. Yeah. Because I'd rather be able to see it for myself. Like who is this person who make those judgments myself mm -hmm. to, to gauge someone's candidacy. So for companies like HubSpot, uh, there are going to be some people who actually will read your resume and then mm -hmm. respond to you. But I'm going to acknowledge that our, our way of doing that at HubSpot is very unique to the recruiting world in that in the, in the rest of the world, it's, it's kind of like a toss up if your resume mm -hmm. will be seen or not. So in those situations where you're at maybe a company that doesn't always respond to every application, mm -hmm. uh, one thing to do is really focus on, actually even before you submit your resume, like focus on like what are you actually submitting? Because yeah. one thing that recruiters are really looking for is not just someone who can fill a butt to a seat, <laughs> a better term, right? But like, we're really looking for someone who actually uh, is a great match for the role in the sense that mm -hmm. they are putting a lot of care into like, what do they bring to the table that will actually mm -hmm. solve the bigger problem at hand for this role? Because yeah. one thing that a, a job role is always looking for is like, it's trying to solve a problem for a business. Mm -hmm. And as a recruiter, I'm really trying to find who is going to help solve this problem and actually like mm -hmm. do it remarkably and not just like, you know, sweep one solution under the rug uh, for lack of a better term so oftentimes like I actually put a lot of emphasis on what do you submit in the first place mm -hmm. and you know, on your resume I mean so if you're just submitting the same resume that you're submitting to every other job that has every yeah. single accomplishment and every job or experience mm -hmm. you had I think that's great but at the end of the day sometimes you might actually be leaving out some details that might be relevant to that particular job you're applying for okay so like, that's the danger of sending the generic resume to everybody. Mm -hmm. No, I really like that. Are there things like on the resume, like what should be included in a resume? You're not like, what should you put on a resume? This is the most basic like career 101 question, but like, what should you put on a resume? <laughs> yes. I'm going to answer that from the point of view of a recruiter because yeah. uh, I'm someone that's a student that like really focused on a lot of the like creative, pretty elements that make it like colorful and stand exactly. out, but <laughs> right. But, uh, 
one thing now that I've been a recruiter all these years, one thing I always just kind of gravitate towards is like, I just need to find information quickly mm. because for any given role that I have, I usually have hundreds of applications to review myself, which mm -hmm. means I don't have a ton of time to look at every resume for, you know, 20 minutes each. Mm. Cause if I do, I'm sacrificing time. I could actually spend with candidates on the phone or yeah. through calls and interviews, actually supporting them in their interviews. So, um, when I'm looking at a resume, I only, I only have about like 10 seconds to really look at it. So oh, I can wow. move on to the next one. And on average recruiters spend about six seconds looking at a resume. Oh my God. So, right. So you're kind of wondering what, what do you look for in six seconds? So this is, this is kind of why I'm saying this from a recruiter's perspective, because ultimately we're just looking for a few pieces of information to kind of gauge what is your experience and learn who you are. So if there's anything you should definitely include aside from your name, your email address, your phone number, ways we can contact you and identify you uh, by name. The other things you should really just include are the experiences mm -hmm. that you had. So definitely any sort of jobs, clubs, uh, projects you've worked on, like tell us where did you do them? What role did you play? So like job titles, whatever title you had and how long you're at them, but even more so spends more of your time talking about what did you do in those experiences? Because quite often I'm going right to that. I'm trying to find what is your most recent experiences mm. and learning what did Ryan do in mm. this internship or this club? And not just like, what did you do like on a daily basis, but like, were there certain impacts and achievements that you had? Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm looking for those and that's like kind of the first layer I'm looking for. And then underneath that all, I'm also trying to make sense of, okay, based off this, of, off of Ryan's experience, like how does this connect to the jobs requirements that are listed on the job description? Because okay. that is my basis on like trying to figure out if you're going to be a great match for a role. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I'm assessing your candidacy for a sales role, yeah. one of the requirements might be, hey, uh, we would love ex to see experience working with either customers or an, a role that's facing people. Mm -hmm. So when I look at your resume, I'm definitely looking for experiences like that, that are either related to working with customers or something that's pretty similar to that. And I'm literally actively looking for that. Mm. And if I can't find that experience, that's when I then, you know, decide, okay, this is probably not a great match for this role. I'm going to move on to the next one. Okay. So this is why I like tailoring your resume is, mm. is probably the most annoying thing to do, but mm. it does matter because <laughs> it helps me, the recruiter, connect your experience to the jobs requirements that much easier, especially mm. since I don't have a very limited amount of time yeah look at it yeah and that's like blows my mind like six seconds like the average time like i mean like within the descriptions so you have your job title and like what you did so do you want to make that as like what do you want to include in that like your achievements but like you also want to quantify it that's what that's what the university of iowa preaches you want to quantify it or what should be included a little bit more in depth yeah so yeah in addition to like you know what were the task responsibilities you had i think one thing that we love in terms of seeing like numbers or quantifiable mm -hmm. metrics is like that is a signal of how much you're really thinking about like what value do i add to a company oh okay right because that's how we know that you're really thinking about like any sort of experience you're having and how you're actually mm -hmm. not just wanting to do a job but like how are you thinking about the bigger picture of you know that company's bottom line mm -hmm. so um, that's one thing that really helps, I think, candidates stand out is, like, is that they sh are showing that kind of thinking. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I mentioned when you are in a job, you're there to solve a problem for yeah. that customers, or sorry, that company's audience or the company itself. And for us to be able to know that you're thinking about like the bigger picture, like seeing mm -hmm. those 
seeing those quantifiable metrics and achievements uh, is really helpful in, in terms of helping us see that uh, like right from the get-go. I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll learn about it later on, but if you can put, be upfront about it, like that is what helps um, you stand out and helps us really have more confidence that uh, you want to bring value to a role. No, I really like that. Um, and so let's just say you have all the variables and you finally on like that first interview, um, what are some of the ways to make that like great first impression from the moment you like pick up the phone? Um, I mean. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's always the, the tough thing, right? It's like, yeah. what, how do you make that first impression? And one thing I'll definitely say is like, don't overthink it, mm -hmm. right? Like don't overthink it in terms of like, what should you say? What should you, you know, include like it, it's very much like in the in the frame of like how we establish relationships in our personal lives like how do you approach someone new in your life how did you approach mm -hmm. someone on your first day of school first day of class mm -hmm. like how did you go about that and I think that translates a lot in terms of like how you approach a conversation for an interview for example mm -hmm. like are you treating them like a person or are you being a little bit too calculated and too formal in a sense yeah. um now, here's the thing too, that can be a little bit more nuanced is every industry and every company has its own sort of customs too. So I, I definitely acknowledge that for sure. Mm. So if you're ever nervous about like what that's like, it's okay to ask either um, the recruiter or even just like an employee at that company, like, hey, like how, what's the tone like in terms of conversations? Like are people a little bit more formal or are they a little bit more casual and informal? Um, like would love to know. So this way I don't like you know, sounds too lackadaisical on the phone or mm. almost like too formal and buttoned <laughs> up. Um, that's always the tough part um, to, to really navigate, but it really does depend definitely on the industry and the, and the company for sure. But I would say mm. that's why I think I personally gravitate towards tech because it's not overly formal. It's very much like I get to be a person, mm. um, which helps me be seen as, as, as an individual, which I really appreciate. But yeah, it's very nuanced, which I get, it's very difficult. <laughs> Yeah, because like essentially like the tone if you're talking to an investment banker might be totally different if you're talking to someone like at HubSpot, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it can be off-putting if like your, if your tone doesn't match yeah. that company's like way of wanting to talk to mm -hmm. employees or, or each other. Um, so that's why I, I definitely felt like I didn't really match the financial industry, <laughs> not to knock them, but I, I'm definitely not a very overly formal person. Um, so that's why I, I definitely knew I needed to learn how to like match my tone. Tone matching is definitely one big thing that like I'm learning in the professional world. No, I love that. And so when you get on that phone, like, are you, so from like the interview, whatever, interviewer's perspective, interviewee's perspective, like, so should you, you know, give them the room to like talk, like, like what should that first conversation be about like the weather or is there anything better to talk about like than the weather just to build that like commonality or? That is a great question. I think uh, that's always a tough one. I think for an interview, that, that's why I think preparation before an interview is super important because okay. it helps you really build that rapport. So for example, I think there's always this like, how do you prepare for an interview? And I think yeah. one piece is if you know who your interviewer is, like do a little bit of research of who that mm -hmm. person is before you hop on the phone with them because that getting to know who they are beforehand will help you sort of establish what kind of rapport you need to build with them. Okay. Uh, and one way to do that is definitely LinkedIn profiles are, mm -hmm. are probably the best source to do that because people are on LinkedIn because they want to be seen, mm -hmm. whether people say it out loud or not. And <laughs> <laughs> they're there to be seen, they want to be found. So uh, use their LinkedIn profile to learn more about what is their experience like, but even mm -hmm. more so, this is actually a new thing in, nowadays. Look at their activity. 
look at the posts that they write about. What do they comment on? What do they like? And when you look at those pieces, that's actually a great window into how they think, how they believe, um, what do they believe? What are, the, what are their thoughts on things? It's a really great way to know them and get to know them at least from afar. Mm-hmm. And use that to your advantage because as you kind of get to know this like picture of a person through their LinkedIn activity and profile, that's when, when you get into the phone with them, you can actually say like, hey, like I'm so excited to meet you, especially because I saw on your LinkedIn profile, you post a lot of TikToks around how to help uh, <laughs> sales uh, candidates like prevail on their interviews. That's, that's what I do on my LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty exciting to like, just really, really and that, that excites your interview because that just shows you were prepared for your interview, but also like, it's a very natural way to build rapport with them because you've learned a little bit about them beforehand. Because um, that that's a little bit, that resonates more with your interviewer than talking about the weather, honestly. Yeah. And you could talk about the weather; that's totally fine. But um, if you want to make a connection, that's where mm-hmm. like getting to know them a little bit beforehand is super helpful. Um, and at the end, at the same time, it makes you feel comfortable too, because mm-hmm. you know you're, you're talking to a person; you're getting to know them as a person. That's all we really want is to be seen as humans and people. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I really like that, and like that's one thought that I actually didn't really take into place because it was always like, all right, I'm gonna hop on the phone and like whatever they start talking about, like I'm just gonna expand on it, but. I think, you know, like you post all these TikToks. So, I mean, I, I guarantee someone has had to say to you, like, I love the TikToks, like you said, right? It has been actually somewhat humbling because I, I post content just to help. I don't really like, yeah. pub, I don't push it out that often. I don't like really advertise it that much, mm. but uh, I have seen how much it's been helpful for folks and when they bring it up, like it definitely, you know, helps me get to know that person a little bit more because I've seen that they they actually care about wanting to do well in this role in this process and it makes me connect to them even much more so mm-hmm. I really it's been humbling just to get feedback about that and but that just goes to show like how powerful that can be to like take that time because it helps make a more authentic human connection with somebody mm-hmm. and then I also have to ask like how important is the question tell me about yourself like that because that's basically one of the first questions I was always asked I mean how important is that to like really nail that that's a good question. It definitely depends on the company because some some companies, some teams put more weight on that question than others. Mm-hmm. But it's a really great way to set the tone for uh, showing who you are. Mm-hmm. So that's always a tough question to answer as well. Because yeah. like, how do you put so much information about yourself into like a two minute sort mm-hmm. of time frame? And uh, honestly, if if you're someone who can really develop a really concise and targeted answer for that question, it really does act as a confidence boost for you because like you are showing a strong sense of self you're showing a strong sense of like where you want to go um and it really just sets you up for a great conversation so um if this can be helpful i think the great way to answer that question is just really sharing a little bit more about uh yourself in terms of what you've done in terms of your professional or personal career so far Mm -hmm. in just like a couple sentences talking about what excited you about this role and what brings you what brings you to your conversation today and then talking about like, what are your goals going to be and how you're excited that this will help you get there. Mm. I think those are really like the three big bullet points I always love to tackle whenever I have to ask, answer that question. I really like that. Um, can you give us like any like interview tips that you have? I know a lot of your TikToks like around that, but like, what are like some big interview tips that you always give? Yeah. So big interview tips I always give is definitely the preparation beforehand. Mm. So like truly get to know the people that mm. you're going to be talking with so you can you know build that connection with them, but also like to really get a sense of will you like them as people because mm-hmm. you know your recruiter may not be your, your day-to-day person but like the other people you're gonna meet in the process they're most likely going to be your teammate or yeah. even more you're a manager mm-hmm. <laughs> right 
So I think it's worth it for you to know, will you actually like them? So like mm. getting a chance to get to know them beforehand through the LinkedIn profile, getting to build an impression of them is really helpful. So that preparation beforehand, super important. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, in terms of interview tips, uh, one thing that we tend to do in sales a lot is role play, like how calls yeah. will happen with prospects, right? So like, how do we role play the types of questions that we ask a prospect and how do we uh, position our solutions based off of what we hear from them? Like that's, that's what we do in role plays so often just to make sure that we're actually actively listening and actually facilitating dialogue because we don't wing it when we get on the phone or it helps out we don't. And I'm hoping most sales teams don't. So why wouldn't you do that for interviews? Why wouldn't you practice how to answer mm -hmm the most common types of questions that might come up, like the tell me about yourselves or um, tell me about a time you did X, Y, and Z, like, and practicing how you'll answer that question. Mm. I think that's where a lot of students right now fall short is how they actually tell that story to those interview uh, questions. Because mm. uh, often I give feedback about brevity because mm. it's super easy to talk in a stream of consciousness, super easy to just ramble on and on and on. Yeah. And depending on the role, that can usually be a disqualifier because it, it can kind of be an indicator of how you're not able to communicate really concisely, which might be important, especially for a sales role. Oh, definitely. So, right, so practicing your storytelling um, in mock interviews or even just outside of an interview setting, that's going to go a long way for you so that you kind of know how you'll tell your story about examples and experiences you've had in your past and also be aware of some maybe small behaviors that might be distracting your interviewer because for me i definitely know i overuse filler words like um you know <laughs> like in a lot of my conversations but i don't know it notice unless someone tells me that mm -hmm. in practice and, and when i practice so practicing how you'll talk about yourself and experiences before an interview is super important it's, it again it takes a lot of time but i'd rather you practice before an interview than actually like wing it because it feels so much worse when you're winging it in an interview you just know you're crashing and burning like that never feels great <laughs> no i i have i've experienced that one before where you're just digging yourself down a rabbit hole um but is there a thing like where you over prepare like too much where it's almost like hi my name is ryan atkinson i was xyzzzz and you just go to go to yeah the, there is definitely a <laughs> uh there is definitely <laughs> a, a chance to over prepare uh where it can kind of sound scripted yeah right so there's that balance, right? Like you, you definitely don't want to have a rehearsed answer, but just mm -hmm. oh, you want practice in terms of like how to talk through a story pretty concisely, um, which again, doesn't happen without practice. And I think that's why oftentimes it takes a lot of students and just people in general, like many interviews in order to like nail the one role, because oftentimes they're finding out through previous interviews that they could have probably answered questions a little bit differently. Um, so yeah, there's an, there is a there is a danger in over preparing because then you can sound pretty scripted. So like mm -hmm. making sure that you're not, you know, sounding rehearsed, mm -hmm. that can be the danger of like over preparing. So like, but again, you won't know that you're over preparing unless like you actually practice beforehand. So yeah. that's that's the other thing. Awesome. And so let's just say, um, let's just say you're kind of like a, like a computer science major, um, and for some reason, you, or and you want to break into tech, like tech sales specifically. If like you don't have the experience for a job you want to work for, what are ways um, to grab to gain experiences that uh, are most more closely aligned with that job? Yes, that's a really good question. So there are definitely going to be some industries, some roles that will require some technical experience for him, mm -hmm. whether that's in the literal sense or in the um, uh, metaphorical sense. Like for example, like computer science, like you definitely definitely helps to have a computer science background. Yeah. For finance, it sometimes uh, is advantageous to have a finance degree mm -hmm. where you've actually gone through a curriculum. So those are usually like the ones that like have that requirement. But if you don't have those requirements, 
uh, one thing to really lean on to is definitely if you, if it's too late or if you just feel like you you pass the point of no return where like you can't go redo your major yeah <laughs> right like because I know for me when I graduated from college like I was a psych major but I chose not to go into psych and I wanted mm-hmm. to go into something a little more creative but I, I didn't have a chance to like redo college because mm-hmm. I didn't want to because who wants to spend even four more years in college after spending four years already yeah <laughs> so the most accessible things to to really grasp in those moments where like if you don't have the direct experience like what do you need to what can you do in the meantime um there's a couple things one is definitely projects like how do you take advantage of projects for either a professor a student club some or even just for yourself like what can you practice in your day-to-day or in any of those settings that can put some of the skills that might be required for a computer science role or sorry yeah technical role or a finance role or really any role that's super technical specific Mm -hmm. like how do you practice some of those skills in a different setting so if we're using the computer science example, like one thing that's definitely very much common is developing an application, like mm-hmm. developing an app. All right. So you don't necessarily need to develop an app at a company to say you have experience. Yeah. So, right. So you can actually have experiences like for a student org or student club, where if you want to create an app for that student club, right, like that's an opportunity you can take advantage of and say, hey, I built an app to improve like Ryan's business club to help them encourage more signups for events. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've really practiced all my computer science skills. Like that kind of experience, that kind of project experience is super helpful and also shows the same amount of experience that maybe someone with a degree might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe like the, it's the varying degrees, but you still have the experience. And for some companies, like that's enough for them. And that's great. <laughs> so like, don't discount that. Um, and then I also don't want to discredit like, like uh, organizations that are out there to give you s- short boot camps to help you get uh, acclimated to that like that mm-hmm. industry that you're trying to break into. So take advantage of organizations like General Assembly mm-hmm. um, or even HubSpot Academy that offers like certifications to help you build some of those skills. Because uh, yeah, you, you don't always need the direct experience to like say your skill in something. If you're mm-hmm. if you're saying you got certifications and applied them somewhere. Um, that's not in the job if it's like in a, in a club or for a professor or just a project that you did like that's super impactful too so like don't discount projects and student club experience as as ways to show that you have skills in something because that also counts too awesome 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 well we are kind of winding down on time I want to ask just like two more questions um, I should have asked this one before honestly um, but like once the interview is over what's the follow-up strategy? Are you sending them an email, a LinkedIn connection, or how should you follow up after the initial interview? Yeah, so I would say here, this is again, not to overcomplicate things, but a simple thank you note is always really uh, courteous to do because one, it acknowledges that you're really finding that that person's time valuable. Yep. So acknowledging that, that, that piece of time. And it's also another way to say that you're interested in the role and expressing mm-hmm. interest in the role. Because oftentimes you could just say thank you and have that be it. But one other way to like really make your thank you note more impactful is, you know, having a couple sentences that show, you know, what were some of the highlights of that Mm -hmm. role? Or sorry, what were the highlights from the interview you just had and how it excites Mm -hmm. you? Just say, again, show your interest. Yeah. Um, And if you even want to have a call to action to it, in case your recruiter hasn't been transparent with you, it's also a great way to also ask, hey, what are some next steps or when can I expect to hear back? Right. So it does serve three different functions, in my opinion, to acknowledge someone's time, to really share from your point of view, like what you found really impactful or what was a highlight for you, and also to really uh, indicate that you want to take some sort of next step by asking, like, when can I expect to hear back? 
uh, that's a great way to maximize that. And I think that's that's essentially like all you have to do. I don't, I, don't, I think maybe some other industries and companies might have some different practices, but across the board from all the industries I've interacted with, like that's usually like the most common thing to thank you know right afterwards. Uh, it can be either through email or it can be through LinkedIn, whatever way is easier. I always find emails a little bit more direct. Yeah. And, and there's the thing, like you have your recruiter's email, so that's great. And if you ended up going through the interviews with like the hiring managers or other members of the team, it is okay to ask your recruiter for their email addresses. Okay. Because, you know, if it's, I mean, for HubSpot, like we are definitely wanting you to be able to connect with them. So mm. that's something I'll definitely share. Maybe some companies might might hold that information, but it's okay to ask because like it's better to ask than to not ask at all and miss your mm. chance to do that. No, I really like that. Um, and this was like an awesome, awesome interview. Like there's like just so much advice in here. Um, and to just kind of wrap it all up, like would you have holistic advice for anyone searching for a job right now? Like what would you, what, I mean, what would you say to them? <laughs> so, oh, good question. So especially it's March right now. So it's spring semester. One thing I will definitely say is that this is usually around the time of the year where people don't have a job already. The panic in, is <laughs> insights. Right. The panic inside the anxiety uh, starts to really stir up. And one thing I want to really offer permission to do is to give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. Give yourself give yourself some grace that uh, it's okay that you don't have a job right now. It's okay that um, things aren't, you know, set in stone just yet. Mm-hmm. And yes, like I'm going to tell you like the, the peer pressure and all the announcements on LinkedIn from like maybe your peers celebrating mm-hmm. their job accomplishments. Like I can, I definitely acknowledge that that can be somewhat of a, uh, a tough experience because you're excited for them, but then you're like, well, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, what about me? What, what, where am I doing wrong? And I think that's the mindset that's only going to stall you in mm-hmm. your job search. So one thing I definitely say, especially around this time of the year is like, to not let yourself get distracted by some of those mm-hmm. external forces, like your peers getting jobs and, um, getting rejected from a lot of jobs because it just it happens to everybody even the most top performing students happens to everybody so like don't let yourself get distracted by that and really just focus on your pace what you have capacity for especially right now in a pandemic where you know there's a lot of factors impacting everyone personally mm-hmm. so you know don't add that added pressure of, <laughs> of getting a job and not having one at that really uh get to you um so that's probably one big piece and then the second is i usually like to promote quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. So I say this in the sense that the old kind of way of applying for a job is to apply to as many jobs as possible, hoping that like someone will answer you. And I want to say, and I'm going to, I'm going to land on this till the day I die. Uh, <laughs> that, that is a mentality that uh, doesn't really get anybody anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're devoting so much time, just, you know, what we call, um, mass marketing yourself (laughs) when you really could actually be spending more time like devoting yourself to a few companies a few roles where you can actually pour your efforts and energy into positioning yourself in terms of like how do i understand what this company is what does this role do what do i really bring to this role and like is it something that i actually want to do and really putting more time into very few opportunities and making sure you're setting yourself up for that because Honestly, as a recruiter, I'm more excited by someone who has put a lot of time and effort and care into their candidacy and why they are a great fit for that role than someone who's just like blanket applied. Yeah. Right. Like I'm excited to hear about someone's goals and why they actually want to hear about it and not just someone who just applied. And I think that's why I would rather um, 
folks, and this is something I wish I did when I, when I was a senior, because I definitely was the, let me send my resume everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wish I just devoted myself to a few roles at a time and really put my effort into a few instead of like trying to blast everybody. Because when I switched to that mode of just focusing on a few roles and focusing my energies on like where I actually wanted to be, <laughs> that's where I got more calls, that's where I got more interviews, mm-hmm. that's where I had more fruitful conversations because it was very clear how much I was excited to be there because I had put in the work and time to like actually show how much interest I was or how how interested I was in that job. Uh, So yeah, so those two things, quality versus quantity when it comes to applying to jobs and two, giving yourself some grace that you're gonna move at your own pace and Mm -hmm. that is okay and it works out. Uh, And I I speak about that latter because I'm someone who lived that same journey because I didn't get my first job till July after my senior year. Mm -hmm. So. I graduated without a job, which makes, which I think to some people can perceive that as like being a loser. And I mm-hmm. would argue that it's not. So again, mm-hmm. everyone goes at their own pace and sometimes the right opportunity doesn't show up until, you know, much later and that's fine and it, it works out. So I know that was kind of a long TED talk about that, but those are my two big things. No, yeah, no, I really love that. And like, yeah, I feel like there is a lot of pressure um, for like people right out of school, like, hey, like I need a job or like, I look like a loser, but I think it's really important, like you said, to move at your own pace and you'll get there. Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Vinny, for joining us. That was a great episode. I'm really excited. Like I said, there's a ton of information, great information in here. Um, So thank you so much for coming on. Um, Is it all right? People reach out to you. I know you're going to say yes. I I don't mean to prime you for that, but I know know (laughs) you are to communicate with people and connect you with people. So, Of course. I feel like we only scratched the surface and I definitely feel like I didn't answer all of your questions because there's just so much to talk about. So I'm... I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect with me on TikTok and Instagram. My handle is literally at that university recruiter. Nice. The way it's spelled. So please happy to always uh, be connected with and also answer questions because I'm always trying to answer questions through content as well. So if there's some things that just, you know, we didn't get a chance to like, dive deeper into in this episode, like I'm always happy to create more content to answer those. So. Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you so much for Vinny for coming on, guys, and definitely reach out to him. Vinny is awesome, so open to meet everyone. So thank you so much, Vinny, for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. (laughs) Well, 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 everybody, that was a phenomenal episode with Vinny, who gave us some great tips on how to land that interview, how to get your foot in the door, um, and how to really get your journey started with a company, um, and just really get that process going. Um, I really enjoy talking with Vinny. Um, He is awesome, guys. He is always just so open, always so willing to help anybody that asks for him, uh, for his guidance. So he was awesome to be able to interview. And guys, you should 100% reach out to Vinny with any other questions that you have that if I did not cover him, he certainly would do it in a win in depth. So uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. Go connect with Vinny on all the platforms that are in the links um, and that he even mentioned um, at the end of the episode, guys. So thank you so much. I'm really excited for next week's episode, guys. And so I will talk with you soon. Thank you.